Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, we'll talk to Reiki master Sharon Ellers, who used the spiritual practice of Reiki to come back from the suicides of her best friend and former fiancé. Also on the show today, a listener from the LGBT community wants to know if it's possible to ease family tensions about their sexuality at the funeral of a loved one. And I talk about what to do when you're hit by the aftershock of grief. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who gives people the tools, space, and support to come back to life after loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone, because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. I am so glad you're here. Just a quick announcement to start off today's show. If you haven't noticed already, new episodes of Coming Back are published every Wednesday. Every Thursday at one o'clock central time, I do a Facebook live video on my Facebook page, which is Shelby for Scythia Intuitive Grief Guide. Um, The topics are always something related to the podcast. So this is a great way to add your thoughts to the conversation that we're having. If you've listened to the week's episode already, if you're a fast listener, or if you haven't listened to the week's episode already, it's a great way to get like a little mini sode or a sneak preview of what's to come if you haven't downloaded the episode for the week yet. So I highly encourage you to take a long lunch or a late lunch on Thursdays and join me every Thursday at one o'clock central time uh, over on my Facebook page, which again is Shelby for Scythia Intuitive Grief Guide. You can also watch playbacks of all of my Facebook live videos on that Facebook page if you miss the live broadcast or if you're just looking for more uh, free resources and videos on life after loss. And these Facebook live videos are a great way to segue into my topic for the top of the show today, because what I'm going to talk about at the top of the show is what I'll be talking about on Facebook live tomorrow. And that is dealing with the aftershock of grief. So what do I mean when I talk about the aftershock of grief? The aftershock is the second wave. Some people would call it the other shoe dropping. And there's a grief blog that I love called What's Your Grief that actually call this process re-grieving, R-E, grieving. So I want to tell you something. Our brains are not capable of processing all of the consequences of grief all at once especially in the case of sudden or unexpected deaths, but in all grief in general and all losses, we process what we can mentally, emotionally, and physically handle in the first go round once we get the news. And then we process the rest later. And the aftershock is the later. And this can happen two weeks after a loss, two months after a loss, two years, two decades, the aftershocks of loss can keep happening across the course of your life. And you may experience lots of aftershocks as you hit milestones, or grow older, or find out new information about a loss. And it kind of reinforces the idea, as we so often see on this podcast, grief is not a one and done life event. I talked about an aftershock moment last week on the podcast where 
I grieved my mom when she died, but I found myself grieving again almost two years later because I discovered in her death, I had also lost my voice, which is a really crucial part of my identity. And this week, I'll give you another example. Um, Many of you know that my fiance and I broke up a little over a month ago. And when she and I parted ways, there were a ton of things that I grieved instantly, like snap instantly, obvious things like not seeing her as much anymore, not talking to her anymore, at least for kind of an introductory period at the beginning, not being able to hold her or kiss her or sleep next to her at night. I grieved her pet dogs because I loved them and her macaroni and cheese recipe and the smell of her clothes. I, I grieved all of that. And in addition to all of that, I grieved our future because it was engagement and everything. I, I grieved the fact that we had made a promise to each other that was no longer going to come true. I grieved disappointing our families and canceling wedding plans that I'd started to make and, and dreams of what our future home would look like together. I cried for the fact that in losing her, I lost my dreams of a home a life and adventure with her by my side. That was the first wave. This past week, I was hit by the aftershock. Remember all that stuff you lost? Here's the stuff you didn't remember the first time around. So this past week, I grieved safety. I grieved the security of a stable partner and the promise of being taken care of by somebody besides myself. I grieved the long train trips I took to see her when we were apart. And I cried because, damn it, I'm supposed to be getting married soon. And now I am definitely not. I cried because my life looks nothing like I thought it would this time this year. I grieved for big things. I grieved for for future milestones and meeting the extended family and being there when things got really hard. I also grieved for small things, like being called darling, biking and and running together, and knowing that for each little piece of myself I poured into my business, she would be there cheering me on. I woke up one day last week and it was like the breakup had happened yesterday, the day before. I know you know this feeling. This is the feeling of the aftershock, you guys. This is the sensation of everything being so close to you again, like right over your shoulder. You can remember words and sights and smell and having that big old second wave just crash over you and flatten you. That is the aftershock. And what sucks about this second wave, what sucks about the process of quote-unquote re-grieving is that we don't always expect it. I didn't expect to re-grieve my mom when I recognized that I had lost my voice, my identity. I didn't expect to re-grieve my former fiancé when I remembered that I wasn't planning for our future anymore. So what happens to us as humans when we don't expect something to happen to us? And then it does. Yeah, we get pissed. We get angry. 
We get disappointed in ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We try to figure out and analyze why it's happening. We get scared that we're regressing. We think that our situation is all about us or it takes over every aspect of our lives or this grief will never end. And these harken back to the three Ps from episode two. So if you haven't listened to that, give that one a listen. These feelings, that's where our brains go when the aftershock happens. And yes, even as an intuitive grief guide, that's exactly where I went. I woke up last week not wanting my life to be my life. I was mad and angsty and unstable and shaky and bitter and mean. I was so furious, not that I had lost all of these things because I did and I have, but because I was grieving again. Yes, even I fall into the mental trap of grieving once gets it all out, which is such a crummy lie. So I want to share with you how I helped myself through that day, through the aftershock. So if you're experiencing a grief aftershock soon, or just coming off of one from Father's Day or Memorial Day or a birthday or any other holiday or anniversary, you can make it through too. So the first thing that you want to do is forgive yourself by reminding yourself that grief is ongoing. You are not to blame. This is not permeating all areas of your life. And this is not permanent. But grief is more of an experience than it is an event. There are no clear stop and start times. It's ongoing. So forgive yourself for not being able to control how, why, where, and when it shows up in your life. It's okay. It really is okay. The second thing you want to do is acknowledge your feelings. I'm a big writer, so for me this, I just find things so much clearer when, when they're out of my head and onto paper. You don't have to share your writing with anybody, but it can help to express all these circling thoughts, these mind circling, somewhere besides inside of your head. So start off with something like, Dear Cancer, I'm still pissed at you for making it so that I can't taste anything. I really wanted to have a better time on this trip with my family. Fuck you. Dear ex-husband, I can't believe that we weren't still married when our daughter got married today. I had to watch you walk her up the aisle and then go sit with your new wife. It is still so surreal to me that we aren't together anymore. It's a really hard day. Dear Zoe, today is the day we got you from the shelter just last spring and it's so hard to get out of bed sometimes without you standing in the doorway waiting to be fed. I miss you. If you're not a writer, even saying these things out loud can help. And no, you are never crazy for talking to people or pets or places that quote unquote can't hear you. It's your voice. It's your space. It's your house. Use them. Just acknowledge where you're at. Mad? Insecure, lonely, sad, bitter, vengeful, perfect. Just see it there. Acknowledge 
that you are experiencing an aftershock, the aftershock. Identify those feelings. Recognizing what they are helps bring them up and out instead of tamping them down by making ourselves busy or distracting ourselves or trying to act like they don't exist. And then the last thing you want to do is do what you need to do to cope. For me, this meant ranting to a couple of friends and then going off the grid for the rest of the day. For some people, this looks like resting or walking outside or watching a movie or two. Whatever works for you. As long as you put in that previous step, step two of acknowledging your feelings before responding to them, you're in good shape. Otherwise, what you think is a response is just you avoiding looking at or feeling the aftershock, your feelings. And that just invites them to come back later. Think of it like a rain check. All right, so first, forgive yourself and remember it's okay to experience the aftershock. You are not regressing. This is not you collapsing. And this will not go on forever. Second, acknowledge your feelings. Write them down. Say them out loud. Make a mental note that this is an aftershock and this is what your experience is today. Third, respond. Do what you need to do to cope. Use this podcast as inspiration. Use the stories of others, the experiences of others, the books read, resources used, quotes said by others to cope and use what works for you what has always called you home lean on that i'll tell you that no matter what you do to deal with the aftershock of grief it is still hard and it is still scary some aftershocks will be easier than others like on holidays and special occasions when they're easier to anticipate and prepare for. Know, know, know that you are not crazy or broken or stuck forever by re-grieving on those days. Aftershocks are so important in our coming back process because they remind us that grief stays with us for the long haul. They remind us that it is up to us to lean into our feelings and continue the work of exploring our relationships to ourselves and to others. Feeling a loss again after the loss has already occurred is just another reminder that we still grieve through our growth. And through grief, we are growing. With all my love, this week. Join me Thursday at 1 o'clock Central Time on Facebook to live chat more about the aftershocks of grief. We would love to see you there. Up next, I'll answer a listener question about how to interact with your family at a funeral when they don't accept who you are. This week I received the following question. Hi, Shelby. I'm a 20-something queer-identified woman living in Atlanta. I use they and their pronouns. I'm writing to you because my mom's cousin and best friend just died. Her cousin was an amazing man who helped raise me in a way, and I consider him a big influence in my life. His death was really unexpected, and the whole family is kind of in shock about it. The funeral has been set for this weekend. 
I'm thinking about attending his funeral, but I'm worried because my mom's side of the family isn't okay with the fact that I'm queer. They've made several rude remarks about it over the years, including telling me to stop this phase and start dressing like a girl again, and making jokes about my pronouns, sex change surgery, which I'm not even considering, and who I'm going to marry, if I ever do get married. When I talked to my mom about funeral details, she made sure to tell me not to show up as a transvestite. My dad's side of the family is okay with my identity, but I know that if push comes to shove at this funeral, they'll err on the side of supportive silence and keeping the peace for the sake of the family. What should I do? My mom's cousin meant a lot to me as a kid, and it breaks my heart that he's gone. But I worry that showing up as myself is going to create more hassle than it's worth. Should I cave and dress like they want me to? I don't want to be made out to be an enemy or a point of drama because of the decision that I make. Thanks for your help. Mel from Atlanta. First off, just let me say I am so, so sorry for the loss of your mom's cousin. It sounds like he supported you and instilled you with some valuable life lessons. I am so sorry for the pain his death is causing your family. I'm also really sorry for the harassment and the ignorance you've suffered at the hands of your mom's family through their rude remarks and assumptions about your sexuality and your life choices. In terms of your question, you have a couple of options. You're in your 20s. It sounds like you're out of the house. That gives you a little bit more freedom than if you were younger or still living under your parents' roof. So you get a little bit more leeway here in deciding whether or not you want to go to the funeral this weekend. That being said, the first option you have, and the one I like the least for you, is to go to the funeral, quote-unquote, dressed like a girl. Please note that as a fellow member of the LGBT community, I am all about smashing gender norms, especially with clothing. I don't think clothing determines your gender, but if your mom's side of the family does and you value not rocking the boat above anything else at this funeral, by all means, do it for one day. After all, it is only one day. The downside of this, and I'll immediately caution you here, is that it may not be just one day. Your mom's family may see this choice as you relinquishing your identity or finally doing what the family wants at a moment of crisis and may expect you to continue this behavior beyond the funeral. I would be very, very careful with this option because it puts you in a position of seemingly doing what they tell you to. Plus, depending on what type of quote-unquote girl clothes you wear, you might look and feel incredibly uncomfortable, which is just never fun. feels like a costume. And I would worry about the experience that you would be having internally at this funeral. The second option you have is to go to the funeral as yourself. However you're most comfortable in day-to-day life, that's how you go. If your mom or one of her relatives wants to pick a fight about how you look or present, just smile and say, I'm not here for you. I'm here for him. Or steer the conversation from you to your mom's cousin, who the day is really about honoring. If you have a specific memory of him supporting your identity, this is a great place and opportunity to tell that story. That's okay. Cousin Mike sent me this bow tie for my birthday last year, so I thought I would wear it. Or, Cousin Mike was there for me after I moved out of the house. Now I want to be there for him. If they won't drop the issue, you always, always, always have the freedom and the power to stop talking to them, sit one row over in the pew or several rows over, or walk out of the service at an appropriate time between songs or 
right after a prayer. If you decide to go to the funeral, it might be a good idea to take a friend with you just so you have someone to sit with and kind of act as a buffer between you and your mom's family. I'll say this too before I go to option three, because I don't know the extent of what your family has said to you. Do not stay if you feel your life is in danger. Third option you have, of course, is not to go to the funeral. This might sound awful to you in theory, but might be the safest course of action for you in the long term. By removing yourself physically from the funeral, you not only remove yourself from your mom's family's potential line of fire, but you also are taking away the possibility that your final memories of your mom's cousin's life, this important man's life, get mixed in with the experience of you being bullied or harassed at his services. This way you can grieve him in your own way, on your own time, without worrying about being confronted by your mom's bigoted family. If people ask you why you aren't attending the services, you can offer them the truth. It feels safer or better or healthier for me not to go, whichever of those resonates with you. Or, of course, you can always make up a tactful excuse. The first one that comes to mind right now is a work emergency, and depending on your job, that might be a viable excuse. Or if you have pets or children, or a partner who might need you in an emergency, that can also be an excuse. Just make sure you get your story straight there. If you don't want to go to the funeral but still want to see the services, see if you can ask one of your dad's relatives or a friend who's attending to Skype or FaceTime you in from the balcony or the back row. I posted a story about this on my Facebook page about a month ago, but live stream funerals are becoming more and more popular, especially with more people moving away from their families. And It would be a way for you to be there without really being there. And nobody else at the services has to know except the person doing the live streaming if it's done discreetly. You might also contact the venue beforehand to see if there's any chance you could pay to have a DVD or a video file of the services made. I know a lot of funeral homes and other grief organizing services do that for families now. Queer or not, funerals are hard and family tensions can make them even harder. Know that all of us listening and all of us here have your back, Mel. And whatever decision you make will be the right one for you. Good luck. If you've had to deal with difficult family dynamics at a funeral or other loss event, leave a voicemail for the show at 312-725-3043 or email shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. We would love to hear your story. You can also ask your own question to be featured on the show, again by leaving a voicemail at 312-725-3043 or emailing shelby at shelbyforsythia.com subject line podcast. You can find both of these contacts in the show notes. Next up, we'll talk to Sharon Ellers about how losing two loved ones to suicide prompted her to help others come back from their own losses. Sharon Ellers is the founding member of Grief Reiki. After working in corporate America for almost 30 years, Sharon decided to start Grief Reiki to offer a multi-dimensional approach to grief through emotional recovery and spiritual healing. Now a certified grief recovery specialist with the Grief Recovery Institute and a Reiki master teacher, Sharon helps others to recover from grief by providing them with a safe, compassionate, and healing environment for their personal journey. Sharon has three wonderful children and two adorable cats. Her favorite quote is, Life is short. If there was ever a moment to follow your passion and do something that matters to you, that moment is now. 
This interview was recorded via phone. Tell us your lost story. Start from wherever you'd like. All right. So let's see. Career-wise, I've worked in the cybersecurity field, you know, and security field for most of my life. Um, and so that was primarily my career. And in, in 2009, um, my best friend, Joy, who I talk to every day, um, died by suicide. And it just sent everything spinning um, into oblivion, basically. Um, I was one of the last people to talk to her. And it was very difficult trying to move forward from that. I had never known anyone who had died by suicide before. I didn't know what to do. Um, so it was very much a struggle for me knowing how to move forward. And, of course, people don't talk to you when, when somebody dies, but they certainly don't talk to you when suicide's involved. Um, move fast forward to 2012, and my former fiancé, who I had lived with for many years, and we had bought a house together. Um, we were actually broken up at the time, but I still loved him and still do. Um, but he also died by suicide. So that really, really sent me reevaluating everything in my life, trying to figure out where do I go, what do I do, um, how do I grieve, how do I move forward. Um, my job was just, you know, stressful and driving me crazy, which didn't help. And so I was trying to find my own tools for how to heal and get better, and I wasn't sure what to do. So um, basically, I took some time off of work. I started, I'm a, also a Reiki master, um, so I started practicing Reiki on myself, and I found that I was much more able to sleep and relax and sort of calm down. I reevaluated my career and decided it wasn't making me happy and that I needed to find ways to um, help other people. And so I signed up for the Grief Recovery Institute's um, certification program, became a grief recovery certification specialist, and started my own business just out of the blue and decided that in order for me to move forward, I really wanted to be there for other people, knowing that grief is such a difficult topic that um, people tend to be avoided. And I felt that way when I was grieving, and I didn't want anybody else to feel that way. So I thought maybe in starting my own business, I could help other people. Um, as a part of my business, I've written a couple books, and I've set up some um, seminars and talks and um, course material to help integrate all the different components of grief because it's not just the emotional, it's also taking care of yourself physically, it's also, you know, understanding where you are spiritually, and that's sort of been the basis of where I've been for the last year or two, and that's refining and, and evaluating and, and developing a different approach to grief that looks at all components um, and helps people to move forward so they're not stuck um, in their pain. The next thing I really want to know is how you discovered Reiki in the first place because it sounds like you already had that as a tool at your disposal. Uh, yes, I did. Absolutely. Um, well, what happened was, um, as a part of my profession, I was a federal employee for many years. I lived in Washington, lived and worked in Washington, D.C. My boss was a presidential appointee at the time, and it was a very stressful environment. 
um, I exercised and did yoga, and I was just fi- trying to find ways to relax from my job. Um, I was on a business trip back here in L.A., um, saw a business card in a coffee shop that said relaxation, and I grabbed it and called the number, having no idea what it was about. Turns out that I experienced my very first Reiki session uh, with a wonderful woman. Um, I felt so different when during the session and when it was over that I thought there's got to be something to this. So over the years, I not only got sessions and treatments from her, but I opted to start to learn more about it. I took Reiki 1, which is, you know, healing yourself, took Reiki 2, um, and then became a Reiki master. So that started in t- probably around 2006, 2007. So I've been doing Reiki for about 10 or 11 years now. That's beautiful. And it's such a cool, it's such a cool like download of energy. I have such a hard time describing it in any other way besides that. You're absolutely right. And and I think originally for me, it was primarily to receive, uh, to relieve stress because of my job. But I found that the stress created by my grief also benefited from me practicing self-reiki on myself every day. And I found, like I said, that I slept better. Um, it didn't take, it doesn't take the sadness away, but it does help you to feel more prepared um, and energetic and not so drained. I, I tell people that I did not get sick at all um, during those years with my grief, and that's so unusual for a griever because grief is such an energy-depleting emotion that most grievers find that they do end up getting sick. And for me, I stayed very healthy, which allowed me to really focus on my grief and handle it emotionally and spiritually in a better way. That's such an interesting piece of evidence, too, because I know in my own loss, I did get very sick, and it was only after that point when I reached for spiritual tools like Reiki to really tune in and to do something about it. Um, I'm curious in your experience if you had any, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like naysayers, um, when if you revealed to anybody that you were doing Reiki to, to cope with your grief, or if that was kind of more of a private practice, and if it was a more public thing, did you have anybody who was like, does this really work for you? So a couple things. When I first started practicing Reiki, I kept it pretty quiet because I work in corporate America. My background is in engineering, so I work with people who are very logical and analytical, um, and it's often difficult to have those discussions in the kind of work environment that I was in. Being Catholic, um, that was also another discussion, you know, with my family members. It's like, well, isn't that contrary to, you know, to being a Catholic? I mean, isn't that a woo-woo kind of thing? There's got to be some something strange that goes on with Reiki. So in the beginning, it was more of a private thing. Um, as I moved through my grief, um, my Reiki teacher became, you know, an obvious advocate because she was helping me. She, in fact, she was the first person I called after I learned about both of my loved ones' deaths, and she was able to see me right away. So I, I did Reiki almost on the same day that I, I learned about their deaths, or within a day or two. 
over time, I because it worked, I found that I became more vocal about it, and I tried to let people I knew who were grieving know about the benefits of Reiki. Now that I sort of get it and have my own business, I mean, that's kind of one of the primary things that I think makes Reiki for grievers very different, and that is teaching people the simple things they can do at home while they're going through their grief um, to help themselves. And I find because I talk about it more now that more people know about it. It's more mainstream than maybe it was 10 years ago, although I know people who've been doing Reiki since the 70s. But I think 10 years ago, it wasn't quite out there as much as it is now. Now, a lot of the hospitals in our area are offering Reiki it's it's in the media. There are, you know, well-known, um, you know, public figures who speak about it on their TV shows or in their radio shows or whatever. So I think there's less of a stigma now, but in the beginning it was very difficult to talk about. I really did keep it private, but I'm finding now when I say it, people are a lot more understanding of what it is and um, seem to be very supportive. That's wonderful. I'm working around in my brain the fusing of Reiki with grief recovery. So could you tell us what grief recovery is or means to you, how you came upon it, and then what made you decide to get certified in it and then fuse it with Reiki to create this this whole new kind of offering that, that adds on a spiritual component, or do you keep them separate? Like, I'm just so curious about how your whole business came to be in existence. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, after John died and it threw me really into the depths of um, the abyss of grief, I just got to a point in my career where I was so lost and disenchanted with what I had been doing for 30 years. I didn't know if I needed to quit my job, find another job start something completely different, but it seemed like I had no time to think. I worked a lot of hours because I did what a lot of grievers do is I became a workaholic, threw myself into my grief, into my work so I wouldn't have to deal with my grief, and of course it reared its ugly head. So as a way of self-protecting, I decided to have elective foot surgery, which sounds really funny, but I had something I needed to be done on my foot. It was one of those things that is a nice to do, not a necessity. And I chose to do that because I figured it would give me six weeks off of work where I could think about what I wanted to be when I grow up or where I was going or what I needed to do. One of the things that I did was I started Googling grief support. Um, I had done a suicide support group when Joy died, and that was very helpful. It was wonderful to be, well, it wasn't wonderful to be around people who had also gone through suicide, but it was also comforting to be with people who understood. So that was a wonderful experience for me, but it didn't seem like enough, and I had so much pain still with both of their deaths that I needed to find something else. Um, as I was Googling, I found the Grief Recovery Method or Grief Recovery Institute, which is was here in Los Angeles, um, out in the valley, not very far away. I noticed that they had, um, you know, certification classes, and I thought, oh, wow, you know, that might be good, and let me try that. So I signed up, not really 
ever reading their material or having any idea of what it was about. I just knew that if I went through the program, it might be another tool that I could use to help myself. So I did. Um, Russell Friedman was my mentor, and he's one of the founders of the Grief Recovery Method, and the experience was life-changing for me. Um, as a result of that, I opted to start a business, not really knowing what direction I was going to go in, but knowing that I needed to kind of bring the Reiki aspects and what I'd learned in grief recovery together. Today, the way I practice it is I keep it very separate because we've signed an agreement with the Grief Recovery Institute to teach the grief recovery method very specifically. So I keep those courses and stuff separately. But I did develop my own program that integrates grief, components of grief um, with Reiki in a way that helps somebody who is grieving to look at themselves, to understand grief better, to understand that they need to really focus on the spiritual, emotional, and physical aspects of grief. Because a lot of grief, a lot of the grief-related issues most people have, I believe, have to do with their physical, you know, physical impacts. And so I take the principles of grief and grief recovery, and I integrate, um, you know, just practical information for a griever, and I specifically tailor it to the things that you can do when you're grieving. For example, um, meditation specifically focusing on your heart chakra, because when you're grieving, one of the energy centers in our body that's primarily affected is our fourth chakra or our heart chakra. And so focusing the Reiki in those particular areas that would affect a griever the most is kind of how I pulled that course material together. So I teach students how to be Reiki level one certified, but I add a twist of, okay, and if you're a griever, these are some things that you need to know so that when you're practicing Reiki, you can focus in those areas that would be most beneficial for a griever. To to incorporate grief with Reiki to me is just so cool because that was something uh, in my own experience that I explored after my loss and I would have loved to have known going in or would have loved to have had access to someone else who knows going into my grieving that this is kind of a broader picture of what's happening because I expected emotionally to be sad and mentally to be foggy and physically to be tired, but to have all of these things be connected with with actual energy and energy work and to be capable of being focused on with a different kind of energy, the Reiki energy, um, and to have some benefit come to that. I would have never guessed or expected those things to be true. And I, I think it's it's really fascinating to me that the first person you contacted was uh, your Reiki teacher, and and that it has just been such a vital component in in your coming back process and your building building your life after both of these losses. I know you said meditation is a great example of combining grief with Reiki. Is there another concept that you want to share with people or that you wish more people who were grieving knew about the grief process? Well, I think a lot of the issue with grieving is that we're so traditionally, I guess, quote unquote, educated by society that we should be 
grieving in a very particular way, um, that there's some mainstream way of doing it. When Joy died, I didn't know what I was going through. I thought I was going crazy. And I think understanding that everybody's journey is different, that there's no one way to grieve is so important. And I think that's where Reiki comes in because Reiki is tailored really to the person that's receiving it. And I think finding those components, um, those teachings within Reiki's, for example, the principles, I mean, just saying the principles every day, you know, when you wake up, I will not anger, I will not worry. I mean, one of the things that grief often brings into your life is fear, um, worry, you know, anxiety. And I think the calmness and the spirituality of Reiki um, was very comforting to me. So, you know, focusing on the principles, um, I created a routine when I woke up in the morning that I would, you know, when I was in the shower, that I would use a specific um, Reiki symbol every day, you know, for, for myself, um, kind of went through all my chakras, my energy centers, and I sent Reiki to each particular area. And I got into a practice where I started my day out that way. Um, and I found that I was much more relaxed, even though I was still working, much more relaxed going into work, um, that I handled things better. So there's so many different components of Reiki that you can you can use crystals. There are very specific crystals associated with grief. Um, I infused, um, I'll use um, Apache Tears, for example, I fused that with Reiki, and I carried it with me. It really kept me calm at work, I have to say. Um, sometimes if I had, I'd be driving and in my grief mobile um, and having a tough time, I would send Reiki to myself, you know, while I was sitting at a stop sign or a stoplight, just to kind of help me, you know, move forward. So there's so many different things that you can do. In fact, in, in the book that I wrote, um, I have all kinds of activities that people can do to use Reiki and other spiritual techniques to really help them when they're grieving, um, which is a little bit more non-traditional. I mean, maybe it's not for everybody, but for me, I found that the tools that Reiki provides really, really helped me, I think, be in a totally different place than I would have been if I'd continued on the path that I was going without it. So it seems like Reiki was the catalyst in and you coming back which is the title of this podcast but that's kind of in my mind and in my definition it's kind of like reawakening to life again after loss does that ring true for you or would you describe that in a different way um no i think reiki had a big part of it and i i believe that you know what you said coming back really awakens you um the trigger for me was having I mean, having foot surgery, which as painful as it was, like I said, it gave me six weeks to think and reevaluate and decide that I wasn't happy, that I didn't want to be stuck in my grief. It obviously helped with my foot to heal, too, because I used the Reiki on my foot as I was as healing. But I think that propelled me into looking beyond what I might have traditionally done, and that is, you know, read another book or go back to a traditional grief support, it propelled me into the grief recovery method, I think, which really opened so much for me and took this huge weight off my shoulders that I'm finding that because I'm in a different place, my Reiki practice is different because I practice Reiki 
on people as part of my business now that everything has shifted. I'm, I find myself being more intuitive. I find myself so, so many things opened, you know, um, I, not only emotionally, you know, do I feel peaceful, you know, have a new perspective, um, felt like I've let go of the pain, have different priorities about life. I think also spiritually, I feel so much more attuned to a different part of life, which is not of this world, if that makes sense, that spiritually, I just feel more open-minded. Um, my loved ones are always sending me signs. I think practicing Reiki as much as I do, not only myself, but now on other people, have, has just really opened the door for understanding that it isn't just about this world um, and that our loved ones are so much with us all the time. So, I mean, my whole perspective came back, I guess, or changed or morphed or grew. Um, yeah. As I continued. And how do you see them these days, your loved ones? How do they how do they show up for you in your life? Is it something in, that you do in terms of like a physical ritual or do you see signs for them or symbols? Because I know grief symbols are very important, things like flowers or feathers or birds or pennies or things like that. Um, or do they show up? Do they float into your dreams or your headspace or just how, how do you incorporate your loved ones into your life today as opposed to how they were physically in your life before? Well, they are everywhere, I have to say. And my dad passed away in January. He is a very busy man because my mom and I get signs from him all the time, music and just, you know, just reminders. For me, it's a combination of the, you know, the na- the nature signs, I guess, um, you know, there's the rainbows and the butterflies. Each one of my friends, um, John, I, when I'm at the beach walking, I see pelicans. I've seen pelicans for some reason. I don't know why I picked pelicans since he he died and I walked at the beach to kind of let go of my grief. That was my sort of my my way to kind of get away from everybody. And as soon as I started, there were pelicans. So I see those kind of signs. I also see numbers. I have numbers that are associated with with different people, so I see numbers, and that's always a reminder. Um, John was also in the federal government, and I used to call him 007, so I see 007 (laughs) on license plates. I see it in phone numbers, like if I'm buying something at the store, you know, it'll be $10.07, and I see 007. So I know that he's around. Other ways that my loved ones come forward are definitely in dreams, always in dreams. Um, interesting enough, I know when I dream of John and, and not so much John, but Joy and my dad, that they've passed away. So it's an interesting dream. I, I know Joy loved to go shopping, and we used to go to Walmart all the time, and, and that was just her thing. And so when I dream of her, we're shopping and I'm looking at her going, like, why are you buying this stuff, right? You are dead, and you don't have a house. And she just looks at me, like, and <laughs> smiles, like, we're shopping. Shut up. You know, this is our thing. And so I, we just shop, you know. Um, with John, it's diff- very different. Um, we're working, I guess, still through things, and so um, the dreams are very different. But it's constant. It's all the time. It's all around me. And I think practicing Reiki 
um, has really opened it up for me in so many ways to to recognize and appreciate that our loved ones are with us all the time, all the time. What advice from either the grief recovery method or Reiki or both, like what principle there do you think would be of the most help to someone who has just gotten very devastating news? So somebody's in the first week of their grief. What's the first thing that you tell people? Honor what you're going through and understand that grief is very unique and that what you're going through really has no rhyme and reason. So you can feel sad one day and and maybe a little bit better the next day and then worse than the first day. It's such a roller coaster that it's not predictable and it's not something to try to control because we tend to try to control it. So respecting your emotions, honoring them, allowing them to just come and go. Um, if you feel sad, to to be sad. If you feel like crying, to be you know to allow yourself to cry. I think that was something I didn't understand in the beginning because I thought, okay, well I'm supposed to be in a certain stage. So what is that stage? Anger. Well, I don't feel very angry. So should I be angry? Don't second guess how you feel. Mm-hmm. Just accept it and appreciate it, and know that what you're going through is normal and natural and to just let it flow through you. I think the other important thing to understand is that not, I go back to Don Miguel Ruiz and the four agreements, and that is Mm -hmm. one of his agreements is don't take things personally. I learned in the beginning, well, I thought in the beginning that people were avoiding me because they didn't want to be around me. And it was very hurtful to feel so alone, but in going through the grief recovery method, I realized that the reason people stay away is because they don't know what to do. And it doesn't really have Mm -hmm. anything to do with you or what you're going through. It really has to do with them and what they are going through and how they maybe haven't addressed their grief. They don't know what to say. There's so many myths so much misinformation out there about grief that, you know, traditionally people don't know. And over the years, we've kind of trained people to stay away. So number two would be, don't take that personally. It has nothing to do with you. It's really about them. And, you know, you have to, as a griever, sometimes reach out to people and express to them what it is that you need because they can't read your minds and they don't know what to do. So being honest in option B, I think Cheryl Sandberg talks about that a lot. It's just, you know, facing the elephant in the room and talking to people about your loved one, talking to people about how you're feeling. I find, I have found that if I'm not doing well and somebody asks me rather than plastering on the fake smile and saying I'm fine, I say, you know what? Today hasn't been a very good day. I really appreciate that you asked me, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that tomorrow will be a, you know, a better day. Um, but being honest about it and, and not acting like you're fine and feeling like you're falling apart inside, I think that's very important. Um, I also think that self-care, not worrying about everybody else and worrying about you and taking care of yourself. That's one of the things I tell clients all the time. If you're tired, take a nap. If you want to go cry, and I've done this 
in a place where um, John had lived out here for many years, and there's a place in Palos Verdes that overlooks the ocean, and I go up there and I cry. I mean, I don't care. I just cry because I need to get it out. It makes me feel better. Um, I listen to sad music if I need to. I listen to happy music. So I think going with whatever self-care regimen you can, because you have to have some sort of spiritual, physical, emotional resilience to get through your grief. Otherwise, you become a victim, and victimhood is not a good, it's not something good to carry with you. So taking care of yourself is the first way that you learn how to move forward, not move forward in a way that's negative, but move forward in a way that's healthy as a griever. I love all of that. I love all of that. To wrap up, tell us where tell us where we can find you, the things that, that you've produced, the books that you have out, the classes that you have coming up. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. My website is www.griefgrief-reiki.com, and on my site are all the classes and services that we offer, all the blog entries, everything that um, we make available. Right now, a lot of the classes are local. I'm hoping to be able to branch out into more online classes so that we can reach a larger a larger audience. But right now, a lot of the classes that I do are, are in the local community. But all the contact information, um, everything is, is there. The two books that I focused on or have written um, as a co-author with Linda Fell, I've been part of the Grief Diaries series. You can go to their website and learn more, www.griefdiaries.com. Um, that's also, it's also on my website as well. The book is available on Amazon. It's called Grief Diaries, Surviving Loss by Suicide. Um, it's 12 stories of people who have lost a loved one to suicide. And for me, writing in that book was very cathartic. The stories are uplifting and heartbreaking at the same time. So I'm very proud of that. It's won three national awards. And so I'm very proud that this book has helped Yay. other people. Yeah, that's very exciting. The book that I wrote um, by myself that kind of brings all the spiritual components, physical, uh, emotional components, is just called Grief Reiki. And that's also available on Amazon and, and Kindle and Barnes and & Noble and, and whatever. Um, and this really talks about the things that I mentioned today of how to bring different aspects of your grieving process, how to use different tools to help you get through just one hour if you need to as you move forward on your grief journey. Um, and I also have an app on iTunes and in the Google Play Store for um, Grief Reiki, they're healing oracle cards, and they give, you know, kind of like the tarot cards or the angel cards that Doreen Virtue does, but it's a basic app that pulls up different cards on a different day and sort of helps a griever from an emotional, uh, physical, spiritual perspective, and it gives you a message of support and kind of, you know, helps you to have something in your day that, you know, you can carry forward with you as you move on your own grief journey. So those are the big ones right now. Ah, that's such a beautiful collection of, of creation. These are all seem, these all seem like heart pieces uh, from you and I'm so glad that they exist out there in the universe. 
Oh, thank you so much. You know, one of the things that grief does is it just splits your heart open in ways that you can't even imagine. And so I appreciate that you said that this feels very heartfelt because that's exactly how I feel is these things. It's about where this came from, and it came from a place of love, which I never would have thought, but it did because it somehow grief affects you that way and sort of opens the door for all kinds of things that you can't even plan for, I think. Absolutely. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for interviewing with me today. It was such an honor to have your presence on the show and and just to hear more about how Reiki and grief can be fused together. Well, thank you so much, Shelby. Thank you. It's been an honor and privilege to be here today. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so, so much to my friend Sharon Ellers, fellow Reiki practitioner and grief business owner. Sharon came back in her own life by practicing Reiki and using Reiki tools to honor her individual experience of grief. Call or email us if her story resonated with you. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts. Be sure to check out all of Sharon's work over at grief-reiki.com. There you can get access to the book she wrote called Grief Reiki, the book she co-wrote called Grief Diaries, Surviving Loss by Suicide, and her app Grief Reiki Oracle Cards, which you can get right on your phone. If you're in the LA area, also be sure to check out her classes. I know she has a Reiki level one where you can get certified specifically for grievers. And you can find a link to her website in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Our little audience is growing every day. And having your voice out there as a thumbs up is just such a beautiful way to keep the conversation on grief and loss going. Thank you also and always to the amazing, talented Eddie Goldstein for composing our music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, and be sure to join me tomorrow for Facebook Live at 1 o'clock, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail at 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com, subject line, podcast. As always, as always, as always, Grief Growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you, I am proud of you and the work you are doing, and I love you, because even through grief, we are growing. Thank you.